Today we're starting something brand new as we look into the Word of God together. We are going to um, begin a journey with Jesus. We're going to be walking through the Gospel of Mark, a journey with Jesus. And I can tell you this, I have no idea how long our journey is going to take. Um, the men that the book of Mark is written about is written about Jesus' life and the disciples who walked with him. Um, it's a recording of over three years of Jesus' life. And so we could take three years to go through it. I don't anticipate that. But it will take us a long time to get through it. And we'll do it like we do our other um, books. We just came through Genesis. Um, and in the past, we've done the Sermon on the Mount. In the past, we've done um, the Lord's Prayer, um, where we'll take different a, a segment of Scripture and at times break into it. So we'll break into a different series along the way. But today, we're going to start looking at the Gospel of Mark. And what we're really going to do today is we're going to take our very first step in a journey. You know, the old proverb that says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. That's what we're doing today. We're taking our first step of a journey. We're going to begin to walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And that's what I hope this feels like. That it really feels like we are going to experience and encounter Christ. It's going to be like we are going to be one of the disciples. We're going to be the 13th disciple. And we're going to go along with what they saw, heard, and experienced as they walked with Jesus. You see, the disciples walked with Jesus for just a little over three years. And during that time, they were so changed and so empowered that God used them to literally change the world. Our lives has been changed by Jesus, right? Man, my life has been completely altered by Jesus. And it all happened because he walked with a couple guys for three years and invested into them, and they, changed, they were so changed, they changed the world. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, records that journey of these men walking with Jesus. It's a story of Christ. And it's my hope that as we walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, that we will be so changed and we'll be so empowered that God will use us to change the world once again. Don't you believe that's God's plan? Is anybody tired of the world going away from Christ? Do you think that God is maybe powerful to take it, powerful enough to take it back? He is. And I believe as we walk with Jesus, as we take a journey with him, we'll once again be used of God to change the world. And it's my hope that, that this journey will draw us closer to Jesus than we've ever been before and that this closeness will shape us and mold us, and make us better than we've, ever, than we've ever been. So are you ready to get started on the journey? Take the first step. This is the first step today. What I want to do as a first step is just simply get to know our author. Get to know Mark, the author of the book of Mark. And then all we're going to do is look at the very first verse, just one verse today, as we do that. But let's talk about Mark first. Mark is also known as John Mark. Sometimes you'll see him referred to as John Mark in the scriptures. And John Mark, as best as we can tell, came from a fairly affluent family, a fairly well-to-do family, because we find out in scriptures he's referenced, we find a reference to his mother, who lived in Jerusalem, and scripture shows us that she lived in a very large house in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, it was a house that was used as a central meeting place for the Christians in the city of Jerusalem. So obviously, he came from a family that had some level of means. Scripture shows us, and history tells us, that Mark was also the cousin of Barnabas. Anybody remember what Barnabas's name means? Son of encouragement. Barnabas is Barnabas is the guy who put his arm around Paul at one point in his life when no one else would. Barnabas is also the guy who put his arm around Mark at one point in his life when no one else would. And we'll talk about that in a little while. But Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement in the New Testament church. We see him throughout the New Testament. 
And that he was a ministry partner, maybe best known for being a ministry partner with the Apostle Paul, and was the one who him and the Apostle Paul were set apart in Acts 13 to begin the first missionary journey. And they were set apart and they began to travel from town to town to town to town and tell people outside of Jerusalem, outside of just this this Jewish um, religion, that this was something for the Gentiles. Paul was called as a missionary to the Gentiles. Barnabas was the one who walked with him and went along with him. He was, his, he was his ministry partner. Matter of fact, the way Scripture is written, it really shows that he was probably the ministry leader at first. And then eventually the Apostle Paul became the ministry leader. So he's the, the um, cousin of Barnabas. He's also, what history shows us, was probably Peter, was, I mean, I'm sorry, that uh, Mark was probably mentored by the Apostle Peter. That that's the way it appears in Scripture and, and from church history, that the man who was the most influential on him in his life was the Apostle Peter. In fact, history would say that probably Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, never met Jesus himself, and that what he writes to us was information that he received from the Apostle Peter, obviously under and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is a guy with a good pedigree. He's Barnabas' cousin. His mom is, just talk about heritage again, his mom um, is is offering a house. It's a headquarters of early Christianity led by Jesus himself, and he's mentored by Peter, the apostle. Um, and so this guy's got a good pedigree. You'd think, you'd think a lot of good things about Mark, but you know what Mark is probably known for the best outside of writing the book of Mark? You know what he's remembered for? If you talk to people who, as we know the Bible, if I quizzed you and said, what do we really know Mark, the author of Mark, the most for? And it's this. It's for failure. It's that he was, in all accounts, a failure in some in some places in his life. And Mark failed, and he failed big. In the book of Acts, it tells us that Mark went on the first missionary with Paul and Barnabas. And on that first missionary journey, as they were going from town to town, preaching the gospel to Gentiles and to, and to Jews, and, and started with the Jews in the synagogues, and then with the Gentiles, that um, that he could not handle it is what it appears to be. Many believe that he just couldn't take the rigors of, of the itinerant lifestyle. And he was a boy raised in a wealthy home who probably hadn't had to suffer a lot in his life. And he was suffering. You know the story of the Apostle Paul. He suffered greatly as an itinerant minister. And he went along that itinerant trail and, and couldn't really handle it. And so he abandoned them. He left uh, the missionary journey and he, he went back home to, to mom and her money. That's what we see from, from the scriptures. And his abandonment of the Apostle Paul was so serious in Paul's mind that when Paul and Silas were going to begin their second missionary journey and go spread the gospel some more, that Barnabas said, well, let's get Mark and take him along. And Paul said, over my dead body. And it said that the argument became so heated that Paul and Barnabas, this incredible missionary team, split up. And Paul took Silas and, and Barnabas took Mark, and they went their separate ways because of a discussion, a discussion, a discrepancy, an argument over whether or not Mark would be allowed to come. Now, friends, understand something. This guy's a failure. How would you like that to be the first thing on your resume? Ministry resume, first position, failure. Not only a failure, the leader of the church that everybody's looking to as the, the great anointed leader to the, the apostle to the Gentiles says, I won't even have anything to do with him. That doesn't look real good for getting another job, does it? But that's who we find here. But you know what? The important part of Mark's story isn't that he failed. That's not the real important part. Rather, the important part is that he learned from his failure and he moved forward. 
That's the important part of Mark. That's the part that I want to get for me and I want you to get for you. That he failed, yes, but he learned from his failure and he moved forward in his walk with God and his development as a man of God. You know, it would have been very easy for Mark to just quit. To just, you know, say, you know what, I tried that ministry stuff and it's just too hard for me. Maybe in our kind of thinking, it'd be, well, I tried to witness to the guy at work and they laughed at me, it's just too hard for me. Well, he said, I tried that ministry stuff. I tried to go around and it's just too tough. He could have said that. It's just too tough for me. But he didn't do that. After failing the first time, they started to do the, organize a second missionary journey. And he said, sign me up. I want to go. And he said, I, I want to go. And Paul said, no, but Barnabas said yes. And even though he was rejected by Paul, he said, I want to give it another try. And he went along with Barnabas. And you know what happened? You know what scripture and history record for us what happened? It says that this guy changed, that this guy matured, and this guy became a great man of God. In fact, one of the greatest stories or this kind of little sidebars, I think, in all of Scripture is that it records that later in Mark's life, the Apostle Paul, the one who had rejected him later in his life, recognizes his development and says in one of his epistles, don't forget to bring Mark with you because he's good. He's useful in service for me. You know why I like the fact that my parents named me Mark? Because of that verse right there. I do. I say, Mark is useful in service to me. I've owned that as my own because I understand failure. I understand trying and not doing it. And isn't that good to know the guy who failed later, the guy who is the chief, the chief guy who said, I'll have nothing to do with him, later recognizes development and says, come on along. I want the guy. He's useful. In service. You know why he became useful? One real reason. He didn't quit. He didn't quit. Because he was teachable. Because someone believed in him. Because he was willing to go through the pain of change. Which it required. The pain of change. He was changed from a failed follower of Christ to a devoted disciple. He was changed to a great author. And you know what he was changed to, Scripture says, and history records? He was changed to an honored martyr. History says that he was killed for his faith. And you know why I think that's so important? Because he started off a guy that when the times got tough, he ran and he hid, and he went back to mama's house. And he ended up a guy who stood so firm in his faith that when literally the the demons of hell inspired the, the people of the world to say, renounce your faith or die, he said, I'm not running anywhere. He said, as for me, I'll serve the Lord. And he lost his life because of it. Friends, that's a transition. He, he grew because he was teachable, because he didn't quit. Because he was willing to go through the pain of change. Understand this, my friends. Here's the key for life. Failing didn't make him a failure. Failure caused him to grow. Failure, failing didn't make him a failure. Failing caused him to grow. And friends, we can all learn from Mark. I want to learn from Mark. Because we all have a temptation that would be natural to man to say, I tried that, I'm going to quit. Some of you say, I've tried all kinds of things, and you've never tried again since, but I got embarrassed. Oh, it didn't work. Guess what? That's, you know what that's called? Four-letter word, four letter word, life. Right? Life. That's what he, but he didn't quit. We can learn from Mark. Because we all fail at times. Friends, the only person who doesn't fail is a person who never tries anything. That's the only person who doesn't fail. And you know what? When a person says, I'm so afraid to fail that I'm not going to try something, I'm not going to be stretched, I'm not going to go to the next level, you know what they miss out on? 
they miss out on the growing and the maturing. They miss out on going through the pain of change that later on somehow God through his servant says, bring Mark because he's useful for me in service. You miss the opportunity to become what God created you to become if you're afraid to go through the pain of change. And friends, my, my nudging to you, my urging to you is that the next time you feel God pushing you, nudging you to try something new, to, to step out of your boat, to do something beyond where you are today, the next time you feel that nudging from God and you're unsure about it, you say, but I might fail. Take the risk because you might succeed. And guess what? If you fail, it's not the end of the world. Even if you fail and others around you point your finger and their fingers say, you're a failure, like Paul did to Mark. Don't worry about it. Grow from it. It's okay to fail. Mark failed, and look who he became. Grow from it. Friends, failure doesn't make you, failing doesn't make you a failure. Failure comes from never trying. Failing, you hear that? You want to write something down on your, across the insert of your Bible that you, that'll help you all your life? You say, failing doesn't make me a failure. Failure comes from never trying. See, I love Mark because I can identify with him. I have failed more times than I can count. I feel like Edison. You know? That's what I was actually going to do today. I was going to have a light bulb. I was going to say, you know how many times that guy tried? Now you turn the switch and it works. I can identify with Mark. And I'm glad that we're going to be walking with him because he's a guy who grew through failure and he's my kind of guy. And we can learn something as we walk with him through this journey to the Gospel of Mark. So that's our, our author of the journey. That's the guy we're going we're gonna to walk with for the next months and months and months is Mark. And here's the question. That's who he is, but what's he got to say? Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Here's what I challenge you to do over the next period of time. In addition to your regular devotions, put your, put your marker in the Gospel of Mark. And begin to read and read and read and read it and read it and then read it again and read it again after that. And let it become just life in your soul. Gospel of Mark. What's his message? He really sums it up in the very first verse. And that's the one verse we're going to look at today. It says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the entire, that's the entire book right there. In the beginning, or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He has one real purpose in the book of Mark, and that's simply to tell us about Jesus. He wants to reveal who Jesus is to us. He wants to take him from a character from history and make him the living Son of God that he really is. Jesus is the message of Mark. Going through the gospel of Mark is a journey with Jesus, it's walking where Jesus walked, it's hearing what Jesus heard, it's doing what Jesus did, and it's getting to see who Jesus is and how Jesus acts and how Jesus thinks. And friends, let's never forget something. In all of the activity of life, in all of the busyness of church life, that it's all really this world, our life, is really about simply knowing Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's really all just about becoming like Jesus, about bringing others to Jesus. Because remember, Jesus said these words. He said, I himself, Jesus, am the way, the truth, and the life. 
He said, it's all about me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Gospel of Mark is simply saying that, that Jesus is all there is. So let's look at this very first sentence that talks about Jesus and see what we see from the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark as we walk along the first step of our journey here today. Let's find out what it has to say about Jesus. First thing it says is this. It says that this is the gospel of Jesus. Do you know what that means? It says it's the gospel of Jesus. Mark writes a gospel. The word gospel comes from the word that means a reward for bringing good news, or it simply means good news. And he's making a point here. He's making a point that Jesus is good news. Friends, the gospel is more than a biography intended to provide information about historical character. Matter of fact, this very week I met with a group of pastors and we did credentialing interviews. And I met with a, one of the people I interviewed is, is working on a Master of Divinity and, and we're, we're dealing with the person and this person's speaking very theologically sound. And I said, can I warn you about something? In all of your study, in all your reading, make sure the book doesn't become a textbook. Make sure that this doesn't become a textbook. Make sure that this becomes what it really is. It's God's love letter to you. It's not something to be dissected and broke down and, and looked at all the nuances. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that. But it's not some historical, biographical sketch of characters from history. Mark writes a gospel. It's the presentation of the life of a living Christ. It's a presentation of the life of Jesus to show what? His saving power. And to show all people that who he is and call all people to faith in him. So Mark wrote this gospel, good news, so that people can come to know Jesus and in knowing him that he will change their lives. And friends, that's good news. So we see the first thing when he writes about Jesus that he wrote a gospel. What else did we find from the first sentence? He not only wrote a gospel, it says it's the gospel of who? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this name, Jesus Christ, is a name and a title combined together, and it very specifically defines who Jesus is. Anybody ever read the newspaper? Is Ann Lander still in the newspaper? Bob, you're a newspaper guy. The Ann Lander's column still around? Okay. I don't read newspapers anymore. Some places. Okay. So I remember specifically reading Ann Lander's. Anybody ever read Ann Lander's? Okay. Any, who doesn't have never heard of Ann Lander's? <laughs> Who's lying right now doesn't know. All our, all our graduates don't know who Ann Landers is. Ann Landers, it's a column in a newspaper where people seek advice. And I honestly remember reading an Ann Landers column one time in which the person wrote Ann Landers and said, will you ask advice or questions? And then she answers them in the column. And they said, is Christ Jesus' last name? In the article, she said, we're debating, me and my friends, asking, is his name Jesus Christ? Kind of like Mark Larson. Is his, Jesus is, and they were arguing, and she said, and settle our argument. Is Christ Jesus' last name? Well, friends, I hope you know the answer, but the answer would be no. There was no Mary and Martha Christ. <laughs> or Mary and Joseph Christ is what I mean. No, Mary and Joseph Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. This name title combination defines exactly who Jesus is. First of all, it says he is Jesus. What's that mean? Now, that was a common name. Jesus was a common name back in his time. Matter of fact, um, Jesus still is a common name in some places. Go to Central America. Every other guy you meet, their name is Jesus. It's kind of funny calling him Jesus, but it really is. Um, but Jesus in Jesus' day was a common name. But what happened with Jesus is his, Jesus fulfilled the meaning of the name. 
Jesus. Because here's what the name Jesus literally means. The name Jesus literally means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is a title for God. So the name Jesus literally means God is salvation. So Jesus was named Jesus because he was and is salvation to mankind. Do you remember the story when Mary was being selected by God and an angel came and talked to her and said, you're going to have a baby? And she says, how's that possible? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man and I'm not even married. And How can I have a baby? And, and he said, it's going to happen. You know, God's going to overshadow you, the Holy Spirit. And, and he said, not only that, he said this about it, about, about the baby. He says, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? He said this for this reason. For he shall save his people from their sins. He said, Jesus is Jehovah is salvation. That's his name. That's what he means. Jesus fulfilled the name that was given to him and was assigned by the angels. Now, we like to select names sometimes that mean something. You know, Suzanne and I still argue over Brett. I got, I won. She wanted Jacob. I wanted Brett. If we would have had named him Jacob, we'd be in trouble right now because our dog's name is Jake. And so, <laughs> and, and in the past, we had a dog named Jake. So Brett, are you glad that you're named Brett? Thank you. So people try to select names. Well, God selected the name. God himself selected Jesus' name, and he said, he is Jesus. Why? To define who he is, that he is salvation to the world. Friends, Jesus has been sent by God the Father for a reason, to save people from their sins. He does this by offering forgiveness, offering deliverance from sin, only something he can do. It's what we talked about during communion today. It's who Jesus is, that Jesus is salvation. So he is Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus, the Christ. What does that mean? It doesn't say the in there, but it's really what it means. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ. He is the Christ. What does that mean, that he is the Christ? Well, the Christ is a title. Christ is a title, meaning the anointed one or Messiah. That he's the anointed one, the one selected and specially empowered and anointed. That's what anointed means. Specially empowered by God to do something. He's the anointed one. He is the one anointed by God the Father to do what? To bring deliverance to mankind. You know, Israel was looking for the the anointed one. They were looking for the Messiah. They just didn't get who the Messiah was. They were looking for the Messiah. They still are looking for the Messiah back then in Jesus' day, who would be this this Moses-like figure who would rise up politically and free them from Roman captivity the same way Moses had from, from captivity in Egypt. And that's who they're looking for, the Messiah, this political figure. But Jesus is so much more than that. He is the Christ, the anointed one. And he was anointed for something much greater than political purposes. He is anointed, was and is and still shall be anointed to set people free from the chains of sin. And friends, when he died and he rose again, he broke the power of sin. He broke it because sin, Scripture said, leads to death. And he, by raising from the dead, he offers to mankind. He breaks that control. And now he offers forgiveness of sins and he offers freedom from sin. You know why that is? That's because he is the Christ. He is the anointed one. So Mark writes about Jesus the Christ, the one and only means of salvation and deliverance for mankind. But he just doesn't write about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He writes about the gospel of Jesus Christ, who? The Son of God. Jesus, this is a gospel about Jesus 
It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, Jesus, my friends, is God. Jesus is God's Son. He's not simply a prophet. He's not simply a good teacher. And guess what? Graduates, as we talked about being bold for Christ, the world will never get upset when you say Jesus is a prophet. They'll never get upset when you say Jesus is a good teacher. Most believe he was a prophet. Most believe he was a good teacher. But he is so much more than a prophet. He's so much more than a good teacher. Jesus is divine. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is part of the Godhead, the triune trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Blessed Trinity, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. He always has existed, and he always will exist, because he is God. Jesus is so much more than a good teacher or a prophet. And friends, listen to what the author of the book of Hebrews has to say as it describes Jesus. If you want, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the first chapter. I love Hebrews, the beginning, or the whole book, but it describes Christ in a way that nowhere else in the entire Bible is talking about him being the Son of God. This is the focus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And listen what he has to say about Jesus referencing him specifically as the Son of God. The author of the book of Hebrews says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, God... After he he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Jesus he used to make the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, which he did on the cross, friends, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And and, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Look what the author of Hebrews has to say about the Son of God. He says, Jesus is God's Son. Jesus, he says, is greater than the angels. Jesus, he says, is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus, it says, made the world, and Jesus upholds all things by his word. And yet, my friends, he came to us as a man, born of a woman, but born of a virgin. God is his father, not Joseph. And as a son of God, he perfectly reveals the father to the human race. We can know God the Father because he has revealed himself to us in a way that we can understand. We can't comprehend God, can we? We can't comprehend spirit. 
but he has revealed himself into a way that, that we can understand. He revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this. He says, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. So friends, as we begin to look into the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we begin a journey that should be life-changing. Nothing in this planet should change our lives more than coming into relationship and understanding more fully Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And friends, we're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to get to know him better. We will be confronted as he speaks. We, As the disciples were, we're going to be confronted by his unconventional teaching that made everybody around say, we've never heard things like this before. And we will witness his great life of servant ministry because that's revealed through the gospel of Mark. And friends, here's my challenge to you and my challenge to me as we begin this journey with Jesus through the gospel of Mark is that we would invite God to transform us through the journey. Won't you believe that would be God's plan? That as we walk with Christ, we would be transformed as we encounter him in new and fresh in powerful ways would be transformed by the journey. The same way those men were transformed and God used them then to change the world. I want to be part of changing the world. Do you? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?